You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, it is another year at Bride Ministries International. It is 2020, and we are off to a bang with some of you shooting at us with your emails. And I have to say, it has been quite a shock. Um, You know, it, it always astounds me when I find people being so mean, spirited, with an email that is requesting more access to a Christian teaching or product. It's like a, it's, (laughs) it's a quandary here. So, so here's what's going on. Uh, We made some changes here at Bride Ministries, okay? Some of you have noticed. Some of you have not been happy. You let us know. And here's what I'm going to say. Uh, Let me explain the changes I'm going to take a moment and explain why we've made some of the changes. And then I'm going to ask very politely for us all to be kind to one another. Uh, at Bride Ministries, we have had a website that was running things regarding the ministry a certain way. We updated and upgraded our website. And as with all new websites and web platforms, especially one that is as uh, robust as ours or, or more... Uh, There are going to be some bugs, right? And so some of you have run into these bugs. And as, you know, we are learning about what's working and and what's not working exactly the way we anticipated or planned, uh, we are actively updating the website in real time. It's not that it's going to stay broken if a link is not working or whatever it is. Those are all getting fixed as they're found. And so be patient, now, there's some other things that have changed. I want you all to know that we have implemented something called a knowledge base. At Bride Ministries, we get a lot of emails, and a lot of the emails are often asking the same thing. Now, we love you all, and everybody appreciates the personal touch, right? But I think some of you guys that listen to this podcast and connect with this ministry, you may think, Oh, Dan has this massive staff. He has all these people. You know, well, the answer is is, is that's not true. It's actually the exact opposite. Uh, I'm essentially a part time employee of my own ministry. Uh, my wife is a, a essentially a volunteer most of the time, and uh, I we have one employee, and uh, in this season she's going to be stepping down. And we're onboarding another individual. And so with the launch of everything new here at Bride Ministries, we've also been navigating a changeover of our staff, which is one whole person. (laughs) So you guys have to understand that running Bride Ministries is not some kind of like massive operation where there's all this help available, easily accessible, so on and so forth. We're doing a lot with a little. And for that reason... Um, we need to put our energy where it matters most. And, and here's the thing about answering the same question over and over again. While, while it feels good for you guys to get that email, you know, um, how do I register? Well, you know, 
frankly, the instructions are on the website, right? So you can register by following the instructions. But if there's a confusion, you know, it feels good to be able to shoot off that email, info at bridemovement.com, and get a response back. Now, what you are often getting when we ask some of these general questions is a canned response. <laughs> Literally, we have a bunch of saved documents, and it's just like, okay, well, if a person asks this, copy and paste this and send, right? That takes administrative time. And uh, when it comes down to it, the wisdom is, why don't we just put all those canned responses in a knowledge base so that everybody has access to all of our canned responses, um, and which accounts for a good percentage of what is being asked of us. Now, some of you have really, really not appreciated that we put this knowledge base together, but here, here's the middle ground, right? Um, we need our administrative hands free to keep growing the ministry. Uh, and, 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 and so, with the knowledge base, if you have a question, you just click that little uh, question mark, bottom right-hand corner of our website, and, and it'll open it up. And you just type your question in, and it'll probably have an answer if it's a general question. Now, if it's something specific, you know, I, I need a refund. Um, my books that I ordered did not arrive. All you do is submit a ticket through our knowledge base, and it goes to our support queue. And, and at our support queue, we are monitoring that every day. So if you submit something through the support queue, we will get it. Now, we have drawn some boundaries at our ministry around the kinds of things we respond through through the support queue. Um, if you ask a question that's answered in the knowledge base, right, we're not going to rewrite it. We're just going to say, here's a link for that answer. Um, if, if you have any kind of customer service concern or request, we will, we're, we're going to address that and deal with it. And if you ask a question like, I need a dream interpreted, or I need a Dan Duvall to call me right now, right now, because my needs are very, very important. So he needs to call me right now. Um, you probably won't get a response because we do not offer dream interpretation. Um, it's not part of my job description to sit here and, and do that for folks. Um, it's also uh, not the purpose of the portal to, to, to get me to call you or, or even to get coaching um, uh, recommendations. Uh, what we offer on our website is a ministry page, and we have a few coaches on there that you can reach out to as you are led by the Holy Spirit for help. Um, we also have a, a, a waiting list at the ministry to receive some free coaching, and, and this year that's going to be uh, coming through the gate of our coaches in training. And, and later on in the year, we're going to be taking a whole bunch of people off the waiting list that you know are willing to, to do this. And um, our, the folks that I'm training right now are going to be helping you. And of course, that will come as no cost to you. That's the service of the ministry. So um, that's still there for those of you that can't afford help. But, you know, uh, we, we're not doing coaching recommendations and we're not doing, you know, Dan Duvall gets immediate access if you just send enough tickets through the email. I, frankly, I'm booked out. <laughs> okay. Even if you go to my website, oftentimes there's nothing available. Th that's because there's nothing available. And I, I, I'm sorry. That's why we're training new coaches. So please um, be, be gentle with our support inbox because, you know, there, there's actual human beings that have to read some of your letters. And when you say scathing things, you know, someone said just the other week, I, this is not, I'm not kidding you guys. Um, 
I didn't even write the email. <laughs> but someone came back and said, Dan Duvall, you can go to hell. And, and, and my staff got that. And, and I'm just like, you know, goodness, aren't we believers in Jesus Christ? <laughs> you know, and I understand people don't like change. But guess what, guys? Change is happening. We are trying to move to a higher level of um, efficiency here at the ministry. And we are growing in, in everything that we're offering. And we're doing so in the most efficacious way possible. I'm just asking, uh, please be kind. And, um, you know, just, just to understand that <laughs> it's all going to work out for your good. Believe me, what we are doing, what we are building, the way we are transitioning right now is actually going to make everything more streamlined, more reasonable for every party involved. And, and, and you know, guys, we love you. I mean, we appreciate you and we're grateful for you. Some of you guys have had some issues with the prayer page. Look, we've been updating and upgrading the prayer page. And, 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 and yes, it was a little bit more difficult when we just switched over to navigate through our prayers. Um, but that's being shifted. We're adding a button that just puts them all down on one page so that you can access them real easy. Um, all of these little bugs and quirks are getting ironed out. So be patient with us. And, uh, you know, God bless you for those of you that have been patient with us and have not sent the scathing email. <laughs> <laughs> you are precious. Um, I, there has also been some concern about the, the new giving app. We, we have added something called Tithely. Um, just understand that in order to, to give to our ministry, Tithely is a really versatile app that allows for donor management, um, even for you to keep track of your own giving. Um, it, you know, if, if it's not working from one device, try it on another device. Uh, sometimes there's a little bit of uh, issue, and we've been working this out with our website. Um, not all browsers work the same way with our new website, uh, particularly Safari has been having some challenges, but we are working on it, so just don't give up. And, and if Tithely is not working for you, there is always PayPal, and uh, we so appreciate those of you that continue to support us. Um, there is more than one way to give. There is Tithely, there is PayPal, and, and guess what? There's also cryptocurrency, and you can always write in and um, our address if you wanted to send us anything in the mail is on the donate page so um guys uh, with that said i just want to uh let you know that uh, we are very excited about the number of registrations that have come in for the bride ministries uh advance in in, in may um it looks like we're rounding the corner on our minimum which is well what we guaranteed that we were going to fill as so far as rooms for our uh, place. And so um, after that, you know, we're going to continue to fill rooms un until there are no rooms left. And uh, we'll be letting you know when the rooms are running out. But, um, you know, we are so looking forward to seeing you all in May. And uh, if you haven't registered and you want to, I want to encourage you to just go to, you know, bridemovement.com. There is a, a, a little banner on the front page, as well as if you go to our church page, it shows up under conferences. Um, my wife's course on business is going to start this weekend, and it is going to be at 3 o'clock on Sundays. Registration will close on Friday. So please... If you want to be in there, register in the next 24 hours. 
um, from, from, from the release of this podcast. With that said, I have been talking long enough, guys. We have an amazing, amazing podcast for you today. And so don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Well, folks, it is another week of Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall, and I have with me my special guest, Sharice. Now, if you have not heard the first two parts of her story, those podcasts are called Programmed by Freemasons, parts one and two, and you need to hear those because you need a backstory and her story is just too important to not be listened to. But she is back with me this week to continue telling us things that she has seen and bore witness to. And I'll tell you what, she is just super brave. Sharice, welcome back to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Well, we appreciate you, Sharice. And, um, you know, whenever you come on the show, you really bring so much and such a well-processed and thought-out story. I really don't have to do much talking, so I'm just going to um, kind of jump right in. You are uh, going to begin this program by telling us some things about your day-to-day -day life and what that looked like. And so, why don't we just get started right there? Okay, thank you. I, I first really want to, to uh, thank you, Dan, for giving me a voice and for above all believing me because um, as I tell my story, my circle of close people who supported me gets smaller and smaller. And so I, I really appreciate that. And I just, I just always wanna give, give glory and honor and thanks to my Lord Jesus Christ, because he, he snatched me from the teeth of the enemy. And um, I, I choose life and life abundantly every day. And it took me a long time to say that. But I, I do want to give um, a little snapshot of, of my day-to-day -day life. And I had many things happen to me where the Lord would take me back through that memory at a later time and he would show me what was going on in the spiritual realm. It was as if he had peeled back the veil. I could see the demons. I could see the angels. I could see how they were interacting. And I, I wanted to share a little bit of that. My, my first um, story um, actually has to do with what my sisters and I called a locust tree. There was a tree growing out in front of our house and these bugs, I actually think they were probably cicada, and they would lose their exoskeleton and the shells of the bug would end up clinging to the trunk of the tree. And my sisters and I, we would always race outside every day to see who could, who could collect the most of those. Well, my sisters always won because they were bigger. And, and one morning I, I woke up early and I thought, I'm going to go out in the front yard, and I'm going to see if I can find 
some of those bug scans and my sisters will be so impressed. So I, I went out in the front yard and I found about a half a dozen bug scans and I was so proud I held them in my hand. And I came back through the front door and as I was shutting the front door, my dad had just woke up and he came down the hall and he was instantly in a complete rage because um, I wasn't ever supposed to do anything without his permission and I had gone outside. And so he, he literally dragged me by one arm down the hall into his bedroom. We were never allowed to go in their bedroom, especially if my parents were sleeping, we would be uh, beaten. And my mother was asleep in bed. And my dad started yelling that I had been outside. It woke my mom up. I was so upset, I had actually wet myself. My mom saw that I wet myself. Instantly, she was in a rage. They stripped off all of my clothes. They were both just really, really angry. And my dad uh, made me pick out the belt that I wanted beat with. I always tried to, to pick out the smallest belt, thinking that that would hurt the least. And my dad actually told me later that he used to laugh at us because he knew that the smaller belts hurt the worst. So he laid me across his lap and he beat me and beat me with the belt. I actually ended up passing out and my dad was in such of a rage, he didn't even know it at the time. My mom was alerted to it and she came over and um, actually got a cold washcloth and put it on my neck. And I was, I was back to my bedroom. And I remember I was so proud of myself because through the beating, through the passing out, I did not let go of my prized possessions, my, my bug skins. And um, even though I had red stripes all over, all over the back of me, I went back to our bedroom and my sisters had, had woken up because of the screaming. And I opened my hand and I had crushed every bug skin. Well, that story in itself is, is not significant, but the Lord showed me how much he and our angels are active in our lives day to day. And he showed me that exact same situation. Mm. He showed me when I got up, I had two angels and they were on either side of me. I walked to the front door. The angels actually held the door open for me because it was heavy. They, they walked out to the tree with me. They actually reached and helped me reach some of the higher ones. And as we turned to go back in, one of my angels sent something and he withdrew his sword from his sheath and he held it in front of him. I had seen many times my angels actually put the point of their sword to not only my dad's neck, but to other people's necks who were hurting me and they were waiting for the word. Mm. And the word never came because they had a legal right. The enemy had a legal right to do that to me. As I entered the um, front door, my angels were on either side of me. My other angel drew his sword because my dad came down the hall and I could see demons all over him. There was one huge, massive demon. It was the demon of murder. Whenever a person has unjustified, uncontrollable anger, it always goes in stages from anger, wrath, rage to murder. 
as my dad dragged me down the hall and took me into the bedroom, this big demon of murder actually divided and half of it was on my dad and half of it was on my mom. My mom became very agitated and it was as though they had the power of agreement. At one point, this demon joined back together and it started bouncing from one wall to the next to the next. And every time it would do that, my parents would get more and more stirred up. At one point, one of my angels was interacting with this large demon and he said, you cannot kill her. And I knew that that was what the demon was planning. As my dad was beating me, the demon was whispering into his ear, hit her harder. She's rebellious. You, you must break her spirit, hit her harder. At one point, my angel actually laid on top of me and he was taking the hits for me. When I passed out, my angel alerted my mom. I don't think she, she would have known. And there was a sense of urgency because at times when I passed out, I would stop breathing. When it was all done and I was back in my room, my angels were so loving and they were comforting me and they were laying their hands on all the red stripes on my back. And, and to think that this goes on every day with everyone and we're not aware of it. And this, this is just a small snapshot, but I, I tried often to um, buy my dad's love. I, I wanted to be accepted and loved by him. And I remember one day when I was three, he was talking about how expensive it was to raise us girls and he was very, very angry. And I used to keep a white purse that I would take to uh, church and I would keep pennies in it for offering. And so I ran back to my room and I scooped up a handful of pennies and I was so, so proud of myself because I knew it would, would help my dad so much. And so I went and I held my hand out in front of him and he said what he always said, you little dummy. And he hit my hand and those pennies went everywhere. And he was very, very angry at me. And he told me to um, pick them up. One of my sisters actually came and helped me pick them up. And so, and so then I thought that I could buy his love by coloring him a picture. And I had a coloring book with a picture of a duck and I, I was so stressed trying to make it as perfect as possible so it would be perfect so my dad would love me. I was just learning how to use scissors. And so I thought if I cut it out, that's going to be really special, but I accidentally cut off part of the beak, but I hoped he wouldn't notice. He was in the living room reading his paper and I took the picture and I laid it on his paper and he said the same words. He said, you little dummy. He said, you have wasted this picture because I I had cut it. He said, you waste everything. And he watered it up and he threw it on the floor. He told me to go pick it up and to put it in the kitchen trash. And I, I, I picked it up. I went to the kitchen trash and I made sure nobody was looking and I smoothed it out. And I remember kissing it. And I scooted all, all of the eggshells and orange peels away and I wanted to lay it on clean trash. And, and I prayed that if my mom saw it, she would see it as something precious and valuable and save it. And 
all during the day, I would run back in and look in the trash to see if it was there. And at one point, my mom had thrown food scraps on top of it, and I remember, I remember crying. Um, another thing I, I'd like to talk about is this has happened to me, and I know it, it's happened to a lot of my clients, is the enemy's ability to change time. And I, I confess, I do not understand all of it, but I know that, that myself and other people I know have only been gone for a number of seconds or for a few minutes, and they ended up someplace else and they were actually gone for days. And I thought, this is another way that the enemy discredits survivors so that if a child gets up and maybe goes to the restroom for a minute or two and then comes back and says, you know, I was just taken someplace else and I was at a ritual and this and this happened, nobody is going to ever believe them. I, I had one time where there was some type of time warp and um, I was taken to, I, I believe it was a different state. I was about four years old and I was taken to a, a military installation. It was a very large like airplane hangar. It was like a huge, huge Quonset. And there were a lot of military men in there. They were dressed in, in one piece green jumpers and they had the US flag on their arms. So I knew I was in the United States. I'm not sure what the purpose was why I was taken there, how I got there. I know I was there for a long time. And they had a holy up at the ceiling and the ceiling was very high because this was a hangar where they could store airplanes in. They had a rope and a pulley with a strap and they strapped it around my waist and they pulled me clear up to the ceiling and then they would let go of the rope. And right before I would hit the ground, they would catch it and it would jerk me. And they this for hours over and over and over. And in fact, some of the men started getting tired of pulling the rope and they would trade off. And I was sobbing, I was vomiting. Um, at, at one point, I actually lost control of my bowels and my bladder and they were swearing because they were, they were under me. There were a couple times where they would they would let go of it and they wouldn't catch it in time and my feet or my knees would hit the carpet. And um, that's, that's one time that I know that there was some type of manipulation of time. And I, I don't believe I was in the state we, we lived in. So I, I don't really have any other memories around that, but that, that's always, always puzzled me. Can uh, I just jump oh, in for a minute here. Yes. You know, you bring up things, Sharice, and frankly, for a lot of folks, it, it is going to sound strange and stretching. And of course, there's going to be the obvious, well, if you don't know other memories around that, then what's to say someone didn't just drive you over there, you were there and they drove you back. And that's the end of the story. I'm sorry, I'm just not gonna buy it. And you know, well, for those folks, I mean, you're entitled to your opinions. However, 
here's a few more data points that you might want to consider. Number one, there are many timelines. And one aspect that we have run into is that things happen on different timelines. And a person, and this often happens with the soul parts, can get pulled into the different timelines and experience things there. And only to find themselves back here later. We actually call that time travel. And most people that come from bloodline families have at least some soul parts that are very, very acclimated to time travel. That is jumping between timelines and uh, being trafficked in that way. Now, you wouldn't see that happening in the physical world at all you would just see the body going somewhere and coming back. Another aspect to take into consideration is the alien abduction phenomena, where people are quite literally taken out of their beds by some kind of technology. And they may have a partner sleeping right next to them that has no knowledge of what is happening. And they can be experiencing hours of activity on that craft only to be deposited back seconds or moments after they have been so-called abducted and people all over the world, all over the US have reported the same phenomena of time manipulation. They're not gone for the amount of time that passes on their clock and they can't figure it out. Well, I don't think everyone's making it up. Another data point to take into consideration is the use of other realms in training and uh, programming. And I've heard at least one story, uh, which, which it speaks to the reality of, of portals, that the person was taken for training, and, and it was military training. It was, it was actually military training. And they were taken on a bus with other children to a so-called field trip, but they got to a certain place where there was a physical portal opened. And they all went through the portal into this training facility that was in another realm and were training for days and then stepped back through the portal with a memory wipe uh, and got back on the bus and returned to school the next day, the, the same day, the same day for uh, a, a return back home with their parents and nobody would have ever suspected that they had been receiving military training for, for days. Now, if you talk about the military, they would call this uh, Stargate technology or jump gate technology or wormholes or portals. They have different words and they have some technical language around some of this stuff. And we would call it science fiction. But all I can say is, in my opinion, everyone can't be making it up. Anyway, please continue. Well, um, when I was not able to, um, I guess, buy love from my family, I turned to my pets and, and to animals. Um, and when I was about seven, I was able to actually have my, my very own cat. Up, up to that point, we never had pets of our own. They were... They were always family pets. 
and I had an orange tabby cat and I named her Angel. And I lived upstairs in an old house and I would open the window and the cat would come up on the roof and I would let her in every night. And I used her as protection. Um, I would I would watch her, I would watch her ears, I would carefully watch her. If she was sleeping soundly, I, I felt like I was safe for that time being. If she was agitated, then I was alert that that danger may be coming. Well, one day, my sister and I, we had gone down to the creek behind our house. There was a lot of clay and mud there, and sometimes we would sit on the bank and we would make little pots and dishes and things out of the clay and mud and let it dry in the sun. And we heard a noise downstream, and there was bushes in between us and whatever was making the noise. And I looked, and it was my dad, and he had this big, huge canvas bag. And we'd had a cat that it had kittens, um, and we just adored them. My only thought is that my dad did not want to pay for their food or care. And my sister and I watched in horror as he would take out one kitten after another, bash its head with the rock, and throw it in the creek. And then in the very bottom of the sack, he pulled out my cat, Angel. And I watched as he bashed her head in with the rock. My sister and I, we didn't say a word. We knew we had to get out of there. We jumped up. We were just wearing shirts and little shorts. We were probably about a quarter mile from our house. We both ran literally for our lives. We went to our house and we went down in our basement to hide. We didn't know where else to go. My dad found us. He was very, very angry. He, he took off our shorts and our, our underclothing and he made us bend over and he took off his belt and he started beating us and beating us. He said we were never allowed to tell anyone. I had screamed out a couple times and my mom was upstairs and she had heard. And at one point she came to the top of the basement steps and she hollered down there. And my dad said, do not come down the steps or I will do worse to you. Your daughters are liars and I'm teaching them a lesson. And my mom shut the door. And so my sister and I, we were beat severely. It was early on a Saturday morning. We were told we had to stay in our room all day with no food or water, and we could not come out of our room. The next morning, I had no memory of what happened to my cat. I went out looking for her. My dad had actually taken my cat and thrown her in the road in front of our house so that she would, her body would be run over by a car, and we would think she just got hit by a car. I, I literally looked for my cat for uh, maybe close to a year. My mom must have removed the body. She never told me what happened. Um, every morning before school, so home from school every morning before church, I searched for Angel. I would open the window every night hoping, hoping she would come in. I think all of these things are designed to um, take away the child's hope of ever being able to have anything, of um, ever being able to um, protect anything or, or love anything. Um, I know we had a St. Bernard dog that had many, many puppies, and, and my dad told each of his girls we could pick out a puppy for our own. 
and we did, and we named them. We carried them with us everywhere. And one day, my dad called us all outside. We had to bring our puppies, and he told us we weren't allowed to cry. And he had sold all of the puppies as people came up and took them from us. We weren't allowed to cry. We had to give them up. Um, my dad did not like us to, to ever cry in front of him. And that was just another example of, of, how, of how the cult gets you to let your guard down. They get you to um, trust so that they can, they can take that away. Um, at the same time, it, it was Christmas time and my family along with another cult family went to this big dairy. They, they had it decorated for Christmas. We, we were never allowed to ever visit Santa or sit on his lap. And although I believed in God, I had hoped that Santa really could make, make wishes come true. And, and my parents, I, I, don't, I don't believe that I asked to sit on Santa's lap because that's not something I would, I would have done, but I was told I could. And there was a big, huge, long line. It, it was clear across the building. And I remember thinking, I have one wish. If, if Santa could somehow make my black teeth white, my dad wouldn't hate me, he wouldn't abuse me, he wouldn't sell me to these people. And I so bad wanted to ask Santa if he could please make my black teeth white. That was the only wish that I had. The only problem was is that I was never allowed to speak in public. If I did speak, I had to cover my mouth because my dad said it was so disturbing. And at the time, with the level of fear and abuse we had, I could not speak. I stuttered so bad, I could not get through a sentence. My sister was the exact same way. But I was determined. This was my one wish, and I was going to ask for it. I was afraid my parents were going to pull me out of line. They didn't. I got right almost up to Santa. And my dad and this other cult member they kept laughing and laughing. I, I, I don't know if they were laughing at me, but, but something was very funny to them. Right before it was my turn, my dad came up to me and he said, I want you to ask for something special. This is very important. I want you to do exactly what I say. I said, okay. He said, when Santa asks what your wish is, I want you to say the only thing you want is a hangnail. I had no idea what a hangnail was. I hoped it was something good, but I feared it wasn't. And my dad told me, that's what you have to ask for. You can't ask for anything else. And so I got up and I sat on Santa's lap and my heart was crushed. And I, I was crying. I was stuttering. I had my hand over my mouth. He asked what I wanted. And I told him a hangnail. And I just remember that puzzled look on his face. He asked me again and I repeated it. He looked over at my dad. My dad was laughing so hard he was wiping tears from his eyes. And he said, is there anything else you want? And I had to say, no, only a hangnail. And he put me down and I told my mom what my dad told me to say and she never defended me and she had left. Um, I think all of these things are designed to get your hopes up and, and to um, dash them. It, it was actually at this time again where I was taken back to the Masonic Lodge for more programming. This programming was the Crooked Man programming. They would often program with 
with nursery rhymes. If anyone has never read the full version of the Crooked Man story, you should take a look at it. It's, it's quite, quite disturbing. The um, very last line of the Crooked Man story ends with, he killed his crooked wife, he killed his crooked children, and then he smiled a crooked smile. And during this programming, as they were reciting one verse after another, they would take each joint and they would start with the tip of my finger and they would dislocate it, twist it, and then put it back in place. And then they'd go down to the next joint and they would dislocate it, and put it back in place. Once you've had that done to all your fingers, they start moving to your bigger joints until, until you think you're absolutely going to lose your mind. And they were trying, trying to make me crooked. It was also at this same time that um, I was taken at night. Um, I believe I was on a private estate because there were several times where we had, had passed over a cattle guard on the road. And so I believe it was a private estate. It was, it was a very wooded area. There was a field, but right at the edge of the woods, they had set up a type of maze. They had all of these wooden stakes in the ground with all of these strings tied to them. And they had placed rocks and um, logs and branches and other things in this maze. They would fire a gun. Each child was stripped naked and they would have to run perfectly through the entire maze within a, a very short amount of time or they would die. And I saw, I saw them kill kill children, they would shoot them. And I was watching from, from the shadows of the trees and they called me and it was my turn. And I, I tried running the maze as well as I could, but it was dark and they put many obstacles in my path. And at one point I, I had uh, tripped over a branch and my arm caught the string and pulled it. And they brought me out and they said, you made a mistake. You don't ever make mistakes. Mistakes are very bad. Someone has to die for your mistake. And they took out a gun and they shot a boy in front of me. They said, choose who, who is going to die for your mistake. There were four children in front of me. There was a boy and there were three girls. The youngest girl looked maybe about two or three. I shook my head no. And they said, if you don't choose, we will shoot and kill every one of these children here. You must choose. I, um, the only thing I could think of was, if I choose the youngest child, perhaps, she will be so young, she won't understand what's about to happen. I, I didn't know what else to do. Um, I had four sets of eyes, wide-eyed with great fear staring at me. And I pointed. And the child was taken out. And she was killed. Um, I, I had the memory of those children's eyes uh, staring at me in my mind for a long time. And for many, many years, every time I would make even a slight mistake, even if it was, if I had a towel in my hand and I dropped it, 
I would start crying and I would say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was always four times. And it wasn't until later that I realized I was saying I'm sorry for each one of those children in that line. People that um, abused me was my um, elementary principal. They had taken me one night and my elementary principal, um, they had brought out, it, it was like a large black belt. And in the middle of it was a Masonic emblem because he was a Mason. And on top of the Masonic emblem was um, a goat head. It was, it was all done in metal. And, and they would uh, lay a black cloth on the floor and put this down. And I would have to lay on my stomach with my face on top of, of this belt. And it, it, would, it would leave imprints of the Masonic emblem on my face. And they would, and they would rape and sodomize me. The next day at school, um, after this had happened, I, I was in school and the principal actually came to my classroom and he said that he needed me. And I was absolutely horrified. I had, I had no idea why. He took me down a back hall of the school where they had a big furnace room. We always called it a boiler room. And I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And I was, I was terrified. He opened the door and there was a room with a big, huge furnace in there. And I saw tied up behind the furnace was the shaggy dog. It was white and brown and black. And it saw me and, uh, and it, it started wagging its tail really hard. I let my guard down. I thought, I thought perhaps he's brought me here to help tend to a stray dog. And so I went over and I was loving on the dog and petting it and it was licking my hands. And the principal said, I need you to hold its head. And I thought he was, he was gonna let go of the leash. <clears throat> he brought out a knife and he slit the dog's throat. And the dog was looking at me at the time. And I kept thinking of those four sets of eyes of the children that had looked at me. And the dog had, had trusted me. And, um, and my principal just made me part of it. And my principal said, if you tell anybody what I have done to you, he said, this is what's going to happen to you. I know where you live. I am always watching you. You are never alone. I had blood splattered all over me. I had to go back to class. I had to hold my arms in a very unnatural way to hide the blood splatters until it was recessed and I could go to the bathroom and wash it off. When I went back to class, we had to do a math test. I, I was never that that great in math, but I was completely dissociated and um, I did very poorly on the math test. My teacher told me, she said, I want you to take your math test. You have to go to the principal's office because you did so bad. I, I did as I was told. The principal had a separate room. He brought me in there and he shut the door. He started molesting me in an um, extremely painful way while he made me give him the answers to the math equations, while he was torturing me, he would ask me math questions. And if I got them wrong, I would be hurt worse. And I've, I've always associated 
just that great pain with 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 doing the math. But um, you know, um, God is so so good. He he took me to heaven one time. He he showed me all of these pets that I had, and they were and they were there in heaven, and they recognized me, and they would pump up and they would lick my face, and they were so happy to see me. Not only not only did God save all of our pets and the things that were dear to us, anything that we greatly valued as a child, whether it was a toy, a necklace, whether it was lost or broken, it didn't matter. It was there in heaven in perfect order. And I've realized by the time we get to heaven, all of those things that we valued so dear will not seem very important. But what struck me was the deep, deep love of the father in that he knows his children so well and not one detail of their life has been forgotten. Even things that that child has has never told anyone about, things that were dear to them, pets that were dear to them, the Lord has saved them. Such is his deep, deep love for his children that he go to that extent to show them how valuable they are. On On that... um... I want to I want to just piggyback that comment and you know as, as as you're going through and talking about all of these different ways that they abused you within the community um they set up they 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 set up situations that would force you to fail or force you to choose the wrong choice um it it they are they do this during programming and in the cult to break the person's ability to ever see a way out. They want someone that is so convinced that the cult and its desires are the only life that they can ever trust or depend upon, even though it's evil, even though it's painful, they don't want that person to ever see hope elsewhere because that's a liability and i see that very clearly happening in in your case uh they they they, because hope deferred makes the heart sick but when it comes it is a tree of life to those that find it and uh, number two as you were talking about pets in heaven, I can't tell you how many times we've run into this. And often when I am ministering publicly, I will uh, minister in heavenly mansions, meaning we'll open it up and I'll have angels escort people to their mansions uh, during meetings and just say, well, let's, let's take a tour and let's take a look around. And it was very interesting because, you know, as I've done this in the past, I, we get reports of different things like toys and uh, pets all <laughs> the time. And pe- people are shocked because they don't think that God cares that much. <laughs> Recently, when I was uh, doing this at a meeting, I forget, it was a few months ago, um, and, and I'm in my, my mansion, and suddenly my attention is drawn to this doll. And I had this, this doll when I was young. It had this, uh, 
plastic head. I, I, I don't know what they were thinking, but they used to make these stuffed dolls. They were soft everywhere but the head. So if you, you know, get hit with the head of the doll, it's an injury, but everything else is soft. Now, why they did that, I don't know. But I had one of these dolls with the plastic head. Um, but I really, really loved that doll. And I completely, I mean, I haven't thought about that doll in probably a decade at the least. It's like, you know, because at one point, I mean, you know, it got ripped and the stuffing came out and it's old and you have to, you know, by that point you don't care about it. But at, at a certain age, I really loved that doll. And there it was yeah. in my mansion in heaven, just sitting there. And it, 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 it's just a testimony to the love of the father. It's actually this declaration. I care. Yes. Yes. It's powerful. And there is no, no detail too small. The, I, I had a number of occasions where I stood before the father and he would reach down and he would grab a hold of the sides of my face. At that moment, I was suspended between heaven and earth. And all I can say is that my entire body filled with light and I was overwhelmed by the depth of God's love. I, I could not even, even fathom it. Here I am in the throne room. There are lights like the Aurora Borealis everywhere. There's a fragrance like the fragrance of a thousand blossoming trees. And the father puts his hands on me. It, there was no judgment. There was no condemnation. There was no hate, no anger. It was only absolute, pure love. And he would always tell me, twice you are deeply deeply loved well um at at about the same time in my life also the masons would uh take me to i believe it was the basement of our hospital it may have been another medical facility they would strip me naked and strap me to a table and they would have paddles and they would stop my heart my entire body would arc and after the first time that they did that and and what i'm going to tell you next i confessed i do not understand why it was this way but this is the way it was i was standing next to my body looking at it i had an angel on either side of me and they were holding me up it felt like a part of me was still stuck inside of my body and they they told me they said don't go to sleep, you need to stay awake. And they had uh, shocked my heart again, and my body jumped, but nothing happened. And I started getting weaker and weaker, and they actually ended up shocking my heart four times, and nothing happened. And by that point, I, I, was, feeling, I was feeling very, very uh, sleepy, the angels kept telling me to stay awake. After the fourth time, one of my angels said, it's time. And I saw him place his hand on my heart. I could see my heart light up with light. All of a sudden, I was back in my body and I was gasping. And my chest and my back hurt so bad, my head felt like it was going to explode. I, 
I was taken home and I remember the next morning getting up for school and I woke up with an incredible headache. I had bruises on me and I had these strange veins that had broken out on my chest and going, going up my neck. But I know if my angels, the Lord had not sent my angels there, I, I would not have, have survived that. You know, one other thing that, that it is done occasionally in cult families, when only one child is, is taken for um, further programming, it causes the other children in the family not to believe and support that one child. If everybody is taken, at least you have a little bit of, I guess, comfort. And, you know, when you can talk about it and everybody is there. In my case, where I was the only one taken that I'm aware of for this further punishment, it, it, causes, it causes a great division in the family because you are not believed because the other siblings can can say oh no you know you were sleeping all night nothing, nothing ever happened and that that's that's a source of great pain um i'd like to talk a little bit about the masons the shriners and the eastern star um what i'm going to say i'm i'm sure will not please a lot of people um, the only thing that the Masons, the Shriners, and the Eastern Star really have in common is that they are Satanists. Freemasonry, um, Eastern Star Shriners, they are the pretty face of Satanism, but they are Satanism nonetheless. We, as children of God, we must separate the vile from the precious, and everything that has to do with, with Masonry, Shriners, and Eastern Star is vile. We cannot live godly lives, go to church, and be sitting next to Masons, Eastern Star, and Shriners. These things are not of God. In, in the first degree of Masonry, the Masons take a witchcraft initiation vow. In the fifth degree of Masonry, the Mason actually becomes the temple of Satan. In the twelfth degree of Masonry, they have a black room with um, a black coffin on a table, a Bible on top of the coffin, and skull and crossbones on top of the Bible. These things are not of God. These are not Christian things. They are witches. They are Satanists. In the 17th degree of Masonry, the Mason becomes his own blood sacrifice. They do actually draw blood. Um, I believe that there are many Masons who will, who will enter the lodge out of ignorance, and perhaps they even think that it's a Christian organization. It is my belief that a lot of these men are sodomized, they are tortured, they are subject to mind control programming. Their torture is so great that they dissociate, and that by the time they go home from that lodge meeting, they have no memory of what happened except what they were programmed what what the, the other masons told them happened but in so many degrees of masonry the renunciations all involve sodomy and the lord took me to heaven one time and he was showing me through this window in heaven and he was showing me um ceremonies where where fairly decent men um joined the lodge not knowing what's going to happen and in the first degree they are sodomized 
they are threatened that the Masons will not only kill them, but they will kill all of their family if they tell anybody what goes on. And, and these men are dissociating. Now, all of that being said, that may explain what goes on through the first through the 18th degree. But let me tell you, once a Mason gets to the 19th degree, this is a game changer because in the 19th degree, the Mason is given a mantle of witchcraft. They mock the death of Jesus on the cross. And it is in this degree that the Masons know without a shadow of a doubt that the God that they are worshiping is in fact Satan. If a Mason goes past the 19th degree, they are a Satanist, and therefore their families are Satanist families. All of these people who say, oh, but my grandfather was a 32nd degree Mason and he was a great guy. Your grandfather was a Satanist, and that's a Satanist family. You cannot go past the 19th degree and claim to be a believer of God. In the 25th degree, astral projection is introduced and the Mason is now called a traveler because they are astraling places. In the 29th um, degree, the Mason agrees that Lucifer is God. There are many SRA survivors under oath to this tribunal and they are under the control of this tribunal in the 29th degree. In the 34th degree, of masonry, they actually um, talk about having powers to render oneself invisible, to bring the dead back to life, and they talk about passing through the seven doors to the seven planets, affecting the stars, the planets, their velocity. So they have the power to actually go to um, different planets at this point. Now, if I, I just urge people not to take my word for it, to get a hold of the degrees of masonry and to read for yourself and to find out what is going on. And then to start thinking about all of the presidents, all of the famous evangelists that are 33rd degree masons. These are not men of God. These are, these are people to be feared because they have the, the control and the power, and they are controlled by Satan. Now, with... And oh, if I could just say something here. Please, go ahead. Uh, Freemasonry, in my experience, has produced nothing good for any of its descendants. Unless you're talking about business connections with others that are doing dirty business to help people make money uh, and work their way around politics and society and uh, do so with other individuals that are actively being initiated into greater and greater depths of darkness. But the spiritual bondage is without question there all of the time and and here's the thing uh what a lot of people do not understand sharice is just how dark and dirty the history of freemasonry really is and i want to just introduce a couple of names and a couple of concepts that will help people to understand this a little bit better first of all there is no freemasonry without jewish mysticism 
based on Kabbalah. As a matter of fact, the idea of traveling to other planets and influencing stars and so forth is part of Kabbalistic mysticism. You train to do these things through that system and others related to it. Now, what's the connection? What people need to understand is that when the Bavarian Illuminati was being founded under Adam Weishaupt in 1776, uh, Adam Weishaupt was uh, being financed by Mayor Amschel Rothschild, the founder of the House of Rothschild. That partnership was based around a common ideology of Zionism. That is the objective to produce a new world order centered in physical Jerusalem to bring about their own Christ. And Adam Weishaupt was the son of a Jewish Kabbalist and also because his dad died when he was five, was raised by the Jesuits. Now, the Jesuits claim their source from uh, a guy named De Loyola, who, who formed the Alumbrados. That was the original form of the Illuminati as the initiation of the Jesuit society, pulling on dark occult principles. Well, he was trained in all of this, and he joined forces with this guy, Rothschild, and they made a new friend who moved to Frankfurt, Germany, whose last name was Frank, and he was the uh, progenitor of Frankism, which pulled on sources of Sabbatinism, which basically taught redemption through sin, meaning the more you sin, the closer you are to repairing the world. This was all pulled from Kabbalah, which at its core is a doctrine of political Zionism. And you know what they did? They came together in 1776 and put Kabbalah-based Jewish mysticism as the core belief system of the Bavarian Illuminati. Now, fast forward one year into 1777, and the Bavarian Illuminati, under the direction of Adam Weishaupt, targets none other than the Masonic Lodge to be the shell through which they would accomplish their agendas around the world of destroying religion and family and promoting pro-Zionism to produce their new world order in Jerusalem. And part of their whole philosophy was to infiltrate not only Christianity and Islam as a shell behind which to hide, um, you know, but to actually live a double life as a code of conduct. And the Masonic Lodge was the perfect shell and recruiting tool for the Illuminati because they were able to influence the power brokers of society in degrees. Being able at the core to choose who went up the ranks and who did not, yet maintaining control over the whole. And you know what? All of the degrees that got built into the Masons were built in by this group, the Bavarian Illuminati. So what are they doing? They're making it so that the higher you go, the closer to the core of their belief system and illumination, that person comes. And it lands a person in the depths and core of Kabbalah.
which I have been telling people now for a while, is the government of Lucifer. So how can you argue that Freemasonry is of God? Look at the history, look it up. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and, and in the higher degrees of Freemasonry, they don't even use a Bible anymore, they use the Quran. But Oh, look and, at that. And in degrees 34 through 96, they use the Quran. They don't even pretend to be using the Bible. Um, um, uh, we were talking about how the Masons have the ability and the knowledge to be able to, to go to other planets. And um, I started having dreams and I started having very strange memories that I could not tell the average person. I mean, it's one thing to tell a person that I was sold uh, into sex trafficking, you know, and placed in a mouse tank full of mice. Yeah, that, that can be believed. But when you start having memories that you are actually on other planets and that there are horrible things going on there, that, that is a whole nother realm. I, I started having memories and, and uh, I started having dreams that I was on several planets, but um, the main one was I was inside of the sun and there was a large bunker that was built inside it. It kind of looked like a Quonset type thing. And I remember thinking that it was, it was cool in there. The temperature was cool and I, I couldn't understand that. I saw tables, I saw rooms, I saw shackles on the wall at one point. I, I myself was um, shackled to the wall, and they actually use these places for trafficking. The the Illuminati, the um, powerful people, they they traffic in the souls of people and in children. And I I had had dreams for much of my life of. The Queen of England and the royal family, and I, I could not understand in 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 many of my dreams that I had, I, I wasn't properly clothed, and um, this is actually one of those places where I saw them, and um, there's there's a lot of horrible things that actually go on there, and. I know, I know, Dan, you have talked about this before, and you've worked with other survivors that have been taken to other planets. And, and, and one of the reasons why I, I had sought you out is, is because um, I was losing consciousness many times a day. It was, it was only for just a second or two, but it would often happen as I was passing through a doorway. And the only way that I can describe it is it felt like I was just taken to someplace else and brought back and it was fairly quick and I would, I would be kind of dizzy. And after, after my first session with you and, and you had prayed with me, that stopped completely. And that had been going on many, many times a day. And, and that, that showed me, yes, these things are real. And God showed up and did a mighty work and healed me. And I know God does not heal a lie. 
And I know that these things were very real and that they happen. I, I, I was reminded of, um, of the old show Men in Black, where at one point he was standing outside looking up at the stars and planets. And I forgot what he said, but he was lamenting the fact that he couldn't just look up at them and see them as you know, pretty and beautiful because he had knowledge of things that um, go on there. And I know that there's a lot of people here who, who look up at the moon and they look up at these things. And there's a lot of pain associated with it because they have been there. Um, I, I just have, have one more story before I close, but um, when I was about 11 years old, I, I was called to uh, babysit for some people that actually didn't have any children. And they had drugged me. I, I woke up on the floor of their garage. I was stripped naked and there were three other children in the room with me. Um, since all of us had, had been drugged, we weren't feeling very well. It was, it was dark in the garage, but there was a little bit of light coming in. I, I looked over and there was a little brown haired girl about five and there was a little boy about three and then there was a little child about two, they were very, very white. I couldn't tell if they were male or female in the light, but they were just completely out of it. And I could hear chanting coming from inside the house. And that was always a very, very bad thing. I knew that I had to find a way to, to save these children. And I jumped up and, and, and I was trying to open the um, big garage door. It, it was locked. I tried to manually force it. I couldn't. There weren't any windows. There weren't any doors. I couldn't find any other way to um, save these children. And then I looked, and right next to the door going into the house, they had a washer and dryer. And up in the ceiling, I saw a lid for an attic. I stood up on the washer and dryer, and I pushed open the lid, and this wave of really hot air came out. It was very, very hot up there. And I got the five-year-old child and I put her up on the washer and I had her sit on my shoulders and I explained to her what was going to happen. And I said, you have to hide in this attic. This is the only way that I can keep you safe. She started crying. So I'm trying to um, comfort the children and, and keep them quiet so that they won't hear us. And I was panicking because I knew that they were going to come out at any minute. And I had to get all three of these children up into the attic and they had to hide. She didn't want to go up there because it was dark. And I finally talked her into it. And I explained to her that the insulation is going to be scratchy. And I said, please stay on the boards, stay on the two by fours. Do not step between them because if your foot goes through, they're going to see it and they're going to know where we're at. You must stay on the boards. So I climbed up and she had pulled herself up some and I was able to get her up there and she sat there with the little legs hanging out. And so I went and, and got the three-year-old boy. I tried doing the same, but I, I was weak and I was dizzy and he couldn't help me and I wasn't strong enough to do it. So I had to set him down on the washing machine and I got down and there were shelves in the garage and I was feeling it and I found a big hard plastic crate full of things. 
And so I very carefully took everything out of the crate. I took it over to the washing machine, turned it upside down, stood up on it. We, we actually tipped once, but I, I, I caught myself. I put the boy up on, on my shoulders and I told the girl, I said, you have got to pull him up. And she just shook her head no. So standing up on this crate, I somehow got him up there. I went back to get the small child and it was, it was just, just complete, complete dead weight. I got up on the crate and I was, I was trying to hold this child up and I got its upper torso up, but I wasn't quite strong enough. And one of the children must have helped. Maybe it was an angel. I don't know. But the other child was um, pulled up. I knew that I had to put everything back, clean everything up. I couldn't leave any trace. I put all the things back in the, in, in the crate. I put it back on the shelf and I stood up on the washing machine and I was just getting ready to jump up into this space when I felt grit under my feet. And I knew when I had opened the lid that some grit and dirt had fallen down. And I knew that that would be a sign and give us away if there was any dirt on top of the white washer and dryer. So I got down, I brushed off my feet, I brushed everything off very, very carefully. There was a little ledge on the back of the washer and dryer. I was, I was able to step up on there. Somehow, I believe my angels helped me, I was able to get up into the attic. It was so hot up there. And I, I was sitting on a rafter and I made sure and push, push all the insulation out of the way. I didn't want to leave anything out showing. I very carefully put the lid back into place and right when it fell into place, I heard a tinkling sound. And I knew that dirt had fallen on top of the dryer. And I was absolutely panicked and I was debating, what do I do? Do I open it up? Do I go down, brush it off? I don't, I don't have time. I laid back on a two by four and I passed out. At some point later, I woke up I felt cool air and there was a flashlight in my face. And I looked over at, at the little two-year-old child and it turned out to be a girl. They had a flashlight on her and um, I, I believe she, she was already dead at that point. I, I don't know how we got down. I must have passed out again. But ever since that time, for many, many years, I would have dream after dream that I was trying to hide somebody in an attic. And just as we got up there and shut the door, I heard that tinkling sound, that dirt on the washer and the dryer. And, and I would wake up just absolute panicked and crying because I knew that that was going to give us away. Um, well, that's, that is all that I have. And if, if anybody would like to um, contact me, I have a website, it's called Gates of Shalom, and there's a contact page there. And I just invite anyone who would like to contact me or send me a message to go to the Gates of Shalom website. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know, Sharice, you are just so brave. And, um, you know, it's one thing to survive it. It's another thing to turn around and dare to heal from it. And even I, more than that, to talk about it. Go ahead. 
I, I actually had, had one of my very, very dear clients. She, she said something very, very profound to me. I'd always remembered it. She said, Satan knows your name. The enemy knows your name. And they fear you. I have yeah. no doubt. Go ahead. Well, she, she went on to say that they recognize your authority. And so I am, I am determined to knock out the foundation of Freemasonry in every way that I can and to use any knowledge that I have of the enemy against them to set, his, to set God's children free. Amen. Well, folks, uh, Sharice does have a website. It is gatesofshalom.com. And I know that, of course, there are many, many more of you that listen to this program than I ever talk to or communicate with. But some of you that I have communicated with have told me things like, oh, my gosh, Daniel, I just want to give Sharice a hug. Oh, my gosh, Daniel, I just want to, you know, tell her that she's loved and appreciated my heart just breaks over her story uh, you know if you want to send her a nice message even and uh, that's all you want to do uh, you can do that and um, she does do some ministry as well and so Sharice thank you for joining me today thank you Dan that's it folks we'll be back until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering Truth with Dan Duvall. This podcast is a production of Bride Ministries International. Visit our website at BrideMinistriesInternational.com to enjoy the Bride Ministries Church, the Bride Ministries Institute, free resources, and to support us financially. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.